Acts chapter 20, from verse 17 through to 38. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time when I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prisons and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's gold or silver or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. And what grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. I believe the team is going to come and lead us in song now. Switched on. That would help if I flick the switch. Great to see you this morning. Happy Father's Day, gents, to you. And uh, if you're hearing that passage read this morning and thought, what, I'm not sure how this fits with Father's Day. It doesn't very strictly fit with Father's Day, except what you can see here today is God's good and fatherly love and care for his church as he loves it, protects it and grows it. So just keep those things in mind. I'm also uh, working from the NIV this morning, which is a little different. Normally we use the ESV, the English Standard Version, but the NIV actually does a better job of this particular passage, so we've gone with that today. So if you've got the ability on your phone just to select a different version, if you're stuck with a paper version of whatever you've got, that's fine too, it'll be, it'll be fine. Why don't we pray together and then we'll dive into it. Father, thank you so much for this time we've had this morning already to gather in the name that is above every name, and now as we come to your word, we pray that you would, by your spirit, be our teacher 
and that, Lord, we would see you today as our good and gracious and powerful and kind Father who loves us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know whether you're still watching the events that are happening in Europe and particularly in Ukraine at all, or whether it's kind of gone off your radar. I'm not watching it as much as I was, but I still kind of take a bit of an interest. And uh, one of the things I'm sure you've wondered, and I've definitely wondered, is what it must be like to live in some of those cities uh, in Ukraine under the constant threat of attack. As the air raid sirens go off and, and kind of the nervousness or the anxiety that would probably rise in you as you, as you wonder what's going to happen, what's, coming, what's going to come next, what kind of attack will this be, uh, what, will it be a ground assault, will it be artillery, will it be from the air? It's kind of difficult to imagine, isn't it, sitting here in this part of the world you know, on a Sunday morning in relatively laid-back Western Australia, kind of what that might be like to kind of live in that environment under that uh, kind of threat. Well, interestingly enough, I don't know whether you realise, but as God's church, the church is constantly living under the threat of attack. The church exists in that environment. It always has and it always will until one day we're gathered before the Lord Jesus uh, on the final day as we step into eternity with him. We have an enemy as the church, who would love nothing more than to rip any church apart and to destroy it. In fact, you don't have to look very far to see evidence of that, even in our region, in this part of Perth, in the twin cities of Armidales and Gosnells. Over the years, over probably the last 20 or 30 years, churches have been blown apart, one after the other, by things like division, by unhealthy leaders, by savage wolves coming among them. And many churches are actually now sadly kind of just limping along with little or no impact for the gospel. And the truth is, this can happen to any church. If it fails to do lots of things, but here's two main ones. If it fails to see God's church as he sees it, and if it fails to engage in God's church as he intends. If it fails to see God's church as he sees it, or if it fails to engage in God's church as he intends it. Do you remember the words of the Lord Jesus when he said this to Peter? Peter confessed that he is the Christ and he said to him, and I tell you, Peter, on this rock that is on this confession that I am the Christ, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Notice, friends, what Jesus is saying here. He's saying the church will be, not might be, will be under attack, right? The gates of hell are going to come against the church. He's also saying it will not prevail, but the church will grow. I will build my church. Even in that environment, in that context, I will build my church. How will this happen? How is that possible? Well, it's possible by the power of Jesus our risen and reigning king, of course. right? But it's possible when we see his church as he sees it and we engage it in it as he intends, which is precisely what we see in our passage today that was read for us, that God loves his church, that he protects his church, and that he grows his church. Now let's get our bearings again. From last week, we were uh, kind of on the first part of Paul's missionary journey over here in Ephesus. 
And uh, he's basically headed off after spending nearly three years with them, as we saw last week. He's gone up all the way around here. He's come around and he's heading back and he's stopped in a place called Miletus, just here. It's not far from Ephesus, so rather than kind of deviate off his journey, he calls the elders from Ephesus to come over and meet with him in Miletus for a really, really important meeting. He's worked out, he's heard that someone is savagely, maybe, a, maybe more than one person, is savagely attacking his character and undermining his ministry in the church at Ephesus. Oh, surprise, surprise. The church is under attack. And this meeting in Miletus with these elders is in response to this attack. And so Paul reminds them, notice in verse 17 through 21, of his character and his teaching, which is being undermined. Did you see it there? Paul sent to the Ephesus to Ephesus for the elders of the church. Verse 18, when they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared both to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Notice what he says. Guys, you know me. You know how I lived among you for those three years. You know how I taught you, among, uh, taught you while I was with you for those three years. Yes, there are those who are trying to undermine his ministry, but he says... You know me. You know what I was like. In verse 22 to 25, it's clear that the future of Paul's ministry is probably going to be fairly similar to the past uh, that has happened. Uh, his his ministry is not going to change. He, he talks about uh, heading to Jerusalem in verse 22 to 25, compelled by the Spirit of God, he's going to Jerusalem, not knowing what's going to happen to him. He has no idea. He just knows that that's where God is calling him, so he's going to go there. He does know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns him that prison and hardships are facing him. So suffering's up ahead. He doesn't kind of go, oh, well, I'm going to go this way then. No, no, he goes where God is calling him, even if it means suffering and hardship for the gospel uh, what, is, what is the most important thing for him? Verse 24, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. What's that task? The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. In verse 26, Paul kicks into kind of what you might call the language of a watchman. Have a listen to how, how, what he says. Verse 25, Now I know that none of you among whom I've gone about preaching the kingdom, will ever see me again. So this is kind of his final words to this group of elders who are leading this church in Ephesus. Therefore, verse 26, I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Hear what he's saying? He's using this kind of watchman language, which you find in the Old Testament, particularly in Ezekiel uh, 33, I think it is. You can look it up later. What's the watchman idea? Well, the watchman was the guy that they posted on the, they, they set on the city wall. And what was his job? His job was to look out from the city wall and to see any approaching threats to the city 
and the people within that city. It's a pretty important role, right, back in the day. Uh, you don't want this guy nodding off. You want to make sure that, you know, before his shift, he had a good sleep, a good meal, and he's, you know, refreshed when he starts his shift of being watchman for however many hours he needed to be watchman. It's actually so serious that God says, if the watchman doesn't do his job, he will hold him accountable for whatever happens to the people. Whoa. That's a weighty responsibility, don't you think? Uh, on, the, on, the, on the flip side, if he does do his job and warns the people and they go, ah, yeah, whatever, don't worry about it, and then they get overthrown, well, God says it's on them. But if he doesn't see the approaching danger and warn the people, then it's on him. In fact, it's a bit more blunt than that. God says, I will require their blood at your hands. Pretty weighty. Serious stuff. These are his final words to them. He's fairly sure he won't see them again. And he knows that the church exists under the constant threat of attack. And he also knows that God has set things in place to protect his church from those attacks. Uh, He's not complacent about the threats, but he's confident in what God has put in place. And he's even more confident, notice verse 32, in God's power to preserve and to grow his church. Verse 32, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can or which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Isn't that awesome? The power of the word of God's grace is such that it is able to build you up as a follower of Jesus and guarantee that you land in the presence of Jesus on the final day in the environment where you are constantly under threat. How awesome is that? Remember the words of the Lord Jesus again? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So... How do we also live under the threat of constant attack? How do we respond to this? How do we heed the warnings here and submit to God's will here for us as a church? Well, again, by seeing God's church as he does and engaging in God's church as he intends. What do we see here about God's church? Well, we see three things this morning. Firstly, God loves his church. So make sure you treasure it. God loves his church, so make sure you treasure it. Have a look at verse 28 again. Paul says to the elders, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Just let that sit there with you for a minute. Notice the language here is the possessive language. Shepherd the church of God. The church of God. That is, Paul sees the church as God's church. Uh, The word for church is just the word, the Greek word ekklesia or ecclesia, which simply means assembly or gathering. 
So the church is God's gathering, those who he's assembled together through his son, through the Lord Jesus. It's his church. It's really important. This is really important because it means, you know what? It's not our church. It doesn't belong to us. It's not your church. It's not my church. Ultimately, it's his church. It includes us, which is why the Bible says we belong to one another. But ultimately, the church belongs to God, which is one of the reasons for this. And one of the reasons for this is what comes next. Shepherd the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Friends, do you see how much God loves his church? He loves his church because it cost him dearly. He purchased it. He bought it. He bought you. He bought me. And he bought us with what? A few bucks? An EFT transfer of whatever? No, no, he bought us with his own blood. Friends, God loves his church. Now, if you ever if you need a passage that talks about Jesus being God, here's one of the big ones. Right? Here's one of the big ones. Shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Whose blood was shed? Jesus' blood was shed, wasn't it? Jesus is God, God the Son. And he laid down his life and poured out his blood and died for his church so that he might buy her and present her one day to himself, a perfect church. Church is is a purchased people of God. God loves his church so Make sure you treasure it. Make sure you treasure it. See it as God sees it and engage with it as God intends. God loves his church, so make sure you treasure it. Uh, A couple of hundred years ago, a famous Baptist, in fact, preacher in the UK, C.H. Spurgeon, preached a sermon on the church entitled, The Dearest Place on Earth. The Dearest Place on Earth. Essentially, he was saying what we're seeing here. Out of all the things on the earth, what is the dearest thing to God? What is the dearest place to God? Well, it's what he purchased with his own blood. You think he's on the money? I think he is. I think he is. It's a little bit kind of almost embarrassing to think that way, though, isn't it? God would see you and I, his blood-bought people, in that way. God loves his church. So make sure you treasure it. I wonder what our actions and sometimes our words reveal about how we see God's church. Do we see it as he sees it? Do we see it as his and not ours? Do we treasure it? Or sometimes do we just kind of tolerate it? I wonder for some of us if we actually insult God 
by our disregard for his church. I wonder if for some of us we actually offend him and sin against him when we criticise it or belittle it or when we're just plain indifferent to it. I wonder if we need to repent of some of these thoughts and attitudes that we might have about his church. On the flip side, do you see actually how wonderful it is to be part of his church by his blood? This is actually one of the key outworkings of the gospel in our lives, isn't it? He died for us on the cross for our sins, past, present, future, that we might turn to him, come to him, trust in him, be made his children, and not just that, but become part of his church, his ecclesia, his gathering that he's bringing together through his son and around his son, and one day we'll actually see the big gathering of every person Multitude in the big church, right? I hope you're not averse to big church because heaven's a big church, right? You see, this is actually why we gather on Sundays. This is, this is kind of the bedrock of why we turn up, or at least it should be. Not because it's something we probably should do. I should go to church, I suppose but wonderfully because it reflects something of who we are by the gospel. Of course I'm going to go. God's gathering his people. He's gathering his people. One day there's going to be this big gathering and say, oh, there's a gathering on Sunday. I'm going to gather because that's what God's doing through his son. Secondly, God protects his church, so don't be complacent. God protects his church, so don't be complacent. Notice again, the particular threat to the church that Paul warns of here. Uh, We've seen lots of threats in the book of Acts, by the way. Lots of threats, persecution, legalism, satanic attack, religious opposition. But all those threats have so far been external. Attacks from outside the church. But the one here in Acts 20 is internal. You see it there in verse 29? Paul says, I know that after I leave, Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Whoa. This attack that's most likely already begun here comes from within. Through those he describes as Savage wolves. The word here means violent or cruel. Now, it's not, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to work out the last thing you need among sheep is a savage wolf, right? The last thing you need. But nevertheless, this is what's happening here, and this is what he warns of. These are people who have. No real love for the church. These are people who arise even from among leaders. 
They, they, they come in, they don't spare the flock. In fact, they're prepared to sacrifice the flock in order to achieve their goals or their agendas. They see God's flock not as sheep to be protected and cared for, but rather as food to be devoured. And Paul warns that such people will arise even from among them. What will they do? Well, one of the things they will do is they will distort the truth. They will speak twisted things. They will change the narrative. They will manipulate God's word to get what they want and to gain a following. They are not about God's kingdom and about God's gospel and about being on mission for Jesus. They are about themselves. They are not easy to spot. Because clearly, they don't come in with you know, frothing mouths and teeth hanging out. They wouldn't get anywhere. They wouldn't get past the front door if that happened, right? They seem to be among the sheep. But then, they start to show their true colours. So how does God protect his blood-bought church from such people? Well, here... He does it through biblically appointed shepherds or elders. He calls these guys over to Miletus and he says to them, shepherd the church of God. Keep watch of yourself because you're, you're susceptible to sin yourself as a leader, but keep watch of yourself and over the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers of. Friends, can I just say to you, this is the challenge of Christian leadership and particularly of shepherds. And I don't know whether you know, but it's not an easy role at times. It's personally challenging and stretching and taxing. It's front-line warfare. If you step into that role, if the Holy Spirit raises you up for that role and the church affirms you in that role, you will be put right in the firing line of the one who hates the church. And yet, it is an incredible privilege to shepherd God's church under Jesus. This is the blessing of God's leadership. There's the challenge of leadership in the church, but there's the blessing of leadership in the church because it's clear, isn't it, from Acts 20 that this is how God has set it up to lead and care for his church. Who appointed these elders here in Ephesus? Who made them overseers? Was it a democratic vote that kind of sorted it out? No, no. It was the Holy Spirit who made them overseas, who gifted them with what they needed, who raised them up and, saw, and, and set them going in that role. And yes, the church no doubt would have recognised them and affirmed them and embraced their leadership and so on. But this is God's idea of how he cares for and protects his church. Can you see the good father behind this story? Caring for, loving his church caring for his church, protecting his church, preserving his church.
It's a weighty responsibility that he gives to his elders, but it's how he protects his church from these threats. Listen to how the book of Hebrews uh, uh, puts it. Justin, I think, quoted this in his prayer. Obey your leaders and submit to them. This is uh, the letter of the writer of the Hebrews writing to the Christians there. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? Because they hold office? Why? Because they're in a position of authority? No. For they are keeping watch over your soul. They are watchmen among God's people. So welcome their leadership. Welcome their guidance. Not as infallible. This is the only infallible word we have. But obey them and submit to them. They are keeping watch over your soul and they will have to give an account to the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus, for how they've done that. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. In other words, if you make their job harder and diminish their capacity, who loses out on that? The flock. So let them do it with joy. Support them, encourage them in their ministry. I wonder again if you lived in one of those cities of Ukraine and you went out in the morning, what level of complacency do you think you would find? Zero. Because they know the reality of the threat and they know what to do to protect themselves from it. I want to ask you this morning, are you complacent? It's very easy to become complacent in, as I said before, laid-back WA. Do you have a she'll-be-right-made attitude towards God's church and that which might come against it? And I say if you do, that's exactly where the evil one wants you. Complacent and she'll-be-right. Thinking there's no spiritual danger for you to be concerned about or wary of. You don't need the ministry of those who are shepherds in God's church. You can do just fine on your own, thank you very much. Friends, that's not what we see here. Can I ask you, do you pray regularly for God's church here at GBC? That he would protect his church? Do you pray for us as your shepherds? I hope you do. If you don't, would you, would you, would you please start? For your elders and their families that are often in the firing line on your behalf, dealing with difficult things so you don't have to. I wonder, do you thank God for them? Are you grateful to God for them, for those he has raised up among us? Do you receive their ministry? Do you take their direction? Do you recognise that the Holy Spirit has put them here for your good? Or sadly, as too often is the case, are you often critical of them? Resisting their leadership and their ministry? Maybe even thinking you could do a better job. Hey, come and talk to us. (laughs) Friends, the threats are real. Godly eldership is to be in place. So don't be complacent. 
Lastly and, and briefly, God grows his church, so immerse yourself in it. God not, not only has put everything in place necessary for his church's protection, he's provided everything necessary for his church to prevail. Look at verse 32. Now, Paul says, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those, all those, who are sanctified. Notice what he does. He commends them or entrusts them to God and the word of his grace. Yes, the threats are real, but he's, he, he, and he's not going to be there with them anymore. He doesn't even think he's ever going to see them again. So he entrusts them together as a church to God and to his gospel. And he does so with a high degree of confidence. Did you notice that? Confidence in the face of threats, both external and internal. Verse 32 again, which is, he says, which is able or which can give you, build you up and give you an inheritance. Uh, that little word able or can, uh, it's, you don't see it initially, but um, the word there is the Greek word dunamai, from which we get the word dynamite. As that, it's in that same kind of family of words, right? So it's this idea of explosive power, unlimited power. So what has that? The word of his grace, the good news of Jesus, crucified for sinners, risen, reigning and returning. Paul commends them to God and to that word, which is dunamai, able to build you up now and to land you there then, regardless of what comes your way. See, the gospel is not only powerful to save you, it's powerful to keep you. And so Paul commends them to that gospel. So the picture here is of believers entrusting one another to God, looking to him, praying for one another to him, and gathering around the word of, the, of his grace and growing in it and learning from it and being changed by it and being built up through it. That's the picture. And that's what we're to do. Because God grows his church like this. So, don't remain detached from it. That would be to cut off the lifeblood from you. No, no, immerse yourself in it with others around the word of his grace before God himself. God grows his church, so immerse yourself in it. Friends, in conclusion, how we need to see God's church as he sees it. Not kind of the distorted pictures that we sometimes have or others have. No, no, how does God see his church? That's how we need to see it. And then we need to engage in it as he intends for his glory and for our good. He is a good father. He is the ultimate good father who loves his church, who protects his church and who grows his church.
So let's come to him and entrust one another to him this morning.